listening to the Employment Hour with Lior Sanfuru and John Scholes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. And we are back for another evening in the Employment Hour. The uh, number in just a little while. We got lots to get through tonight, but when we take your phone calls. It'll be four one six eight seven zero sixty four hundred star six forty on cell help at employmenthour.com is the number to call and the email address. You want to talk to Lior, bring up some issues. We will be talking about busting employment law, Miss, in just a little while. But first, uh, Lior, I'm going to turn this over to you very shortly, and we will be interviewing Kevin Flynn, the Ontario Ministry of Labor, about some changes, as I just mentioned, in the ESA, the Employment. Standards Act. So we'll uh, we'll get to that here in just a bit, Lior. Hey, Johnny. Hey, there you are, buddy. I'm just I'm talking here. about the uh, severance pay calculator. I'm good. I'm just uh, chirping away. I can't, you can't <laughs> shut me up. <laughs> What's going on, pal? I'm all right, John. I'm all good. right, and uh, excited to be talking about employment law and workplace rights, and uh, to educate and inform our, our listeners. And uh, we're supposed to get uh, Minister Kevin Flynn on the line shortly. So hopefully, he'll be joining us to talk about some of the uh, changes to the Employment Standards Act that are coming up uh, uh, in in just a few weeks. And that be you know some interesting questions I want to ask him and and clarify some of the concerns that I have and I know some of our listeners have, you know, the changes to the minimum wage, the changes to vacation days and, and uh, uh, on-call hours, etc. So we're going to have some uh, hopefully good discussion with him uh, here uh, on, on the show tonight, John. Has uh, he been uh, made aware of the severance pay calculator? <laughs> <laughs> he should be. He You're should right. Be. Maybe, maybe we should bring it up to him. Uh, he should yeah. uh, he should mention it on, on the Ministry of Labor's uh, website. Also, something tells me that he probably won't be doing that. Historically, after the you know over the last fifteen years or so, what's your what what are your big concerns with the Employment Standards Act? Well, you know, one of the biggest issues that I've always had is with respect to termination of employment, John, right. and the, the issue being that the, the Employment Standards Act only outlines certain minimums that employees have. It doesn't outline a person's full entitlements, and it can be very misleading. If you go online or, or you read the Employment Standards Act, then you may understand or may not understand that what the Employment Standards Act does is outline certain minimums. But with that, I understand that we do have uh, Minister uh, Flynn on the line, and uh, we're going to ask some questions today about the changes that are coming up. So uh, from uh, my old writing of Oakville, uh, good evening, Minister Flynn. The show tonight, I really appreciate it. Oh, we you appreciate you coming for, on. for joining us, absolutely. Now, Minister Flynn, thank you very much for agreeing to be on the show. We wanted to talk to you a bit about the upcoming changes to the uh, Employment Standards Act, as we all know, there's been some major changes announced, including changes to minimum wage, to, to uh, sick days, to on-call time, etc. And obviously, the stated purpose of these changes is to help employees, and, and that is a sentiment that I, I think uh, well, all of us can agree with. My concern, though, is that in trying to help these employees, the costs may increase so much for the employers that employers may actually have to let people go. And, and a simple example, of course, is the changes to the minimum wage to $15 an hour eventually. Now, has the government considered the potential loss of jobs as a result of these uh, changes? Absolutely, Lior. I mean, obviously, it's the responsible way to go is to make sure that when you make these types of changes, that as you, uh, you rightly stated at the start, are intended uh, are, are um, intended to bring some fairness into the workplace. And uh, we haven't looked at the Employment Standards Act or at the Labor Relations Act since uh, the mid-'90s. So certainly it was time to take a look at them again. When we, we make these, these type of changes, we consult broadly. We get opinions, sometimes solicited, sometimes unsolicited, from a variety of economists around uh, the country. And uh, within those economic um, analyses, you're going to have a variety of opinions. As, you know, there's a lot of stories of, about putting economists in the same room and getting a number of opinions out of them. 
what we have to do, obviously, at the Ministry of Labor and what I have to do as a minister is evaluate those and see the ones, uh, see my way through to finding the ones that are the most likely to happen. So when we take a look at this, there were some people that were predicting job loss. There were some others predicting uh, that it was the right way to go, that it actually it would um, result in an expanded economy. At the end of the day, we took a look back at what had happened when we'd made these types of changes in the past, either in our jurisdiction, in other provinces, in other states, in other countries. And uh, we, we believe that these changes can be absorbed by the economy right now and are actually going to be very, very good for the economy in the long run. Well, let's talk about one of these uh, changes. To me, one of these, uh, the most welcome changes is the idea that employers who misclassify employees as independent contractors are going to be penalized and fines can be up to $500,000. And this is an issue that comes up very often. I see this, and and I'm sure uh, you've seen this as well, ministers, employers misclassifying employees when they really are employees, they're calling them independent contractors. But with, with those fines and with the new rules that impose this onus on employers not to do that, it seems to me that not a lot of guidance is provided to, to employers. And how is the ministry going to help employees and employers ensure their individuals are not misclassified other than just punishing employers for doing it? Well, I mean, obviously, we want compliance. And everything we do with the Ministry of Labor, our first preference is that employers comply with the law. Uh, we will do proactive inspections. We will inspect on complaints. Uh, we will we'll enforce the law. But what we really want is for employees to comply with the law in the first place. Um, why, you know, and there's a common sense of decency that I think has always been the tradition or the hallmark of Ontario workplaces. Vast majority of employers in the province of Ontario, excellent organizations, smart people. They understand you treat your employees right. They work their tails off for you, and you make more money. It's that simple. But there's a few people that think that the laws simply don't apply to them, that they apply to their competitors. They try to get a competitive advantage. There's, I think, a lot of room in the economy for the independent contractor. You know, I think of somebody like that. I think of somebody that's got an ad, you know, in what used to be the Yellow Pages, but is out there in the marketplace trying to solicit business from from all over the place, anywhere they can get it. They've got their own tools. They have their own vehicles. They may be on a job site in Mississauga today. They're in Oakville tomorrow. They're in Toronto on Thursday. You know, so, I mean, there's a role for the real contractor. What some people have done, the less uh, scrupulous people have done in the past, I think, is try to classify people that are essentially employees that work at the same company. They show up, they use the company tools, they're on the same site every day. Somehow they've said to those people, look, if you want to work for me, I don't want to pay a WSIB, I don't want to do deductions, you're going to be my contractor, but I expect you to be here every day. That clearly is an abuse of that situation. It used to be in the past that the onus was on the Ministry of Labor to go into those workplaces and prove that the person was not a contractor. What we've done is turn that onus on its head. It won't be a problem for most decent law-abiding employees in the province of Ontario, but for those people that have been abusing the system in the past, uh, I think we're going to find our way through to uh, being able to enforce the law. And, and a lot of employers are going to be surprised that it's not enough what you call the person, as you just alluded to, uh, Minister. For those employers that want to do it right, but they're not sure if the employee falls on the co- employee or contractor, where, where the employee falls on the spectrum, 
Will right. there be an ability to contact the ministry and get some guidance, get some help, so that the employer doesn't do the wrong thing and then get fined? Yeah, absolutely. We don't want to get we don't want to get the decent law-abiding companies and employers in the province of Ontario into trouble that they don't need to be into. Uh, we're publishing some new employment standard materials for employers. We're launching an updated Know Your Rights video, and that's for employers and employees. We're working through the Chambers of Commerce, uh, small business enterprise centers to set up overview presentations to their members. Uh, we've got specific training in our own claim center for the MOL folks that are dealing with people on the phone. We're reaching out to advocacy groups throughout the province, those that advocate on behalf of workers, those that advocate on behalf of employers, legal clinics, um, you know, anybody, that, anybody that's in the field of employment law. Uh, we want to get as much information out to them as we possibly can. We're doing some live webinars for employers in the new year on Facebook. So uh, with the increased use of social media added onto the traditional forms of media, we hope to get this uh, information out to employers early in the new year because, as I said, vast majority of them, decent folks, just want to pay their uh, employees fairly, they want to treat them fairly, and they expect an honest day's work out of them. And one of the changes that I don't think has gotten as much attention, but I think can be uh, very, very important, is the changes to the equal pay for equal work provisions of the Employment Standards Act. Specifically, these changes mandate that an employer has to pay casual, part-time, temporary, and seasonal employees at the same rate as full-time employees who do the same work. So my question is, in light of this, can an employer now still go to an employee and say, well, you know what, you did a great job last month. Uh, I'm going to give you a raise. Would this not prevent, these changes prevent the employer from essentially rewarding good performance? Yeah, there, there again, that's an excellent point, Larry. We, we, we don't want to stifle uh, good performance. We don't want to stifle being able to, uh, to show or to respect that performance by bonusing somebody, by giving somebody extra pay, by giving them uh, you know, an increase in pay. What we're really after is those folks that uh, really are um, really are hiring full-time positions, but they're staffing them with part-time people or with temporary people. Seen a huge increase in the use of temporary help agencies in the province of Ontario in the past few years. Uh, I think we're up now into the thousands of agencies. Uh, temporary help work is growing at an astounding rate of about three and a half percent per year. So basically what a temporary help agency does is it provides, uh, it provides employees to a company and takes a little piece of their paycheck or takes a little piece of the money that otherwise would go to the employee right. um, you know, as a premium for the person that is sort of getting them the job. The thing is, though, they're really permanent jobs, the staff, but they, just, they hire people on as temporary employees uh, you know, into infinity, basically. So the permanent job really is never made available to the person. What we're saying is if you've got two people that are standing side by side and they're doing essentially the same job, one is part-time or one is temporary, the other is full-time, if they're doing the same work in the province of Ontario, we think that the public would agree that those folks should be paid the same. Now, there's good reasons for not paying them the same. You have things like merit pay, you have things like experience, uh, productivity, output, but as a base rate, as a, you know, as a flat rate for the job, uh, we believe that those people should essentially be rewarded with the same base. Now, Minister, under the uh, the new legislation, uh, a mother can take a combination of pregnancy and parental leave 
for up to 78 weeks. That's up from uh, 52 weeks, which is the, the current uh, uh, legislation. Now, I, I, my initial reaction was, well, you know, a lot of uh, women are going to be very happy about this and, and they're going to see the, the value of spending more time with their child. And I think a lot of women do feel that way. But I've spoken with a number of women who are concerned that these changes will make employers even less inclined to hire women who they think will then go off on a parental leave, given the fact that they can go off for a year and a half. So, so what do we say to these women, and how do we prevent that from happening? Well, in, interesting point, because I think that gets right into the gender wage gap, and that's something else the Premier has tasked me with, a, with addressing. On average, um, sort of measured over a lifetime, women in Ontario earn about 30% less than men. I thought we had that solved a long time ago, but apparently we don't. And there's a number of reasons for that. And there's a number of ways that we think we can address that. It's primarily at this point in time, primarily it's the woman that takes the, uh, the pregnancy leave, even though there, you know, it is um, available to, uh, it is available to, to men, obviously, the uh, maternity leave or paternity leave in that, uh, in that instance. What I'd like to see and what I'm working on, not under Bill 148 and not under the Changing Workplaces Review, but under some work I'm doing on the gender wage gap strategy to try to close that gap so that our daughters and our granddaughters and our wives are treated the same way as everybody else that's working out there and is treated fairly. What, what we're thinking is that there may be an increased appetite for sharing of that uh, of that leave. In fact, when we look at other jurisdictions, there's a lot of men take advantage of the the opportunity to spend the first few months of a child's life, uh, or you know the first you know a portion of the first year of a child's life, you know, for bonding and for all the other things that uh, that go along with you know with all the joys of you know a family life. Is that there's an appetite amongst males to do that as well. Uh, it just needs to be encouraged a little bit. And we find in jurisdictions where it's made available, men uh, men participate at figures far in excess of what they do in Ontario. And we think there's, uh, we think there's an opportunity uh, for some sharing of those roles and responsibilities so that that same employer you described really, really well, Leor, the, at the uh, at the start of this question, that same employer would be looking at a male or a female as being somebody who potentially may take a maternity or a paternity leave and would treat them more equitably, which I believe would really help in closing the gender wage gap. Because as you say, there's that suspicion perhaps an employer, when they have to make a choice as to who's going to run an important project, may say, well, I'm not going to hire the woman or I'm not going to give the woman that project because she or she may go and have another baby. And uh, I think that's unfair. I think it's worked to the detriment of women. And we can change that, I think, in Ontario. And it's by looking at this leave a, um, a little bit differently than we have in the past. We're talking with uh, Ontario Minister of Labor, Mr. Uh, Kevin Flynn. And uh, Minister Flynn, uh, one question that I was specifically asked to, to, to bring up to you is with respect to the, the changes to the personal emergency leave, uh, one of the changes I think is, is, is a great one personally is the fact that uh, no longer are, are, is the personal emergency leave going to be limited to those working for large employers. It's going to be available to all employers and employees, uh, and two of those 10 days that are available are going to be paid. But here's what, as I understand, currently, with respect to people working uh, for auto manufacturers, they're still limited to seven uh, personal days, and the changes 
to you through the legislation don't seem to apply to them. So uh, I specifically was asked to bring up to you, what about those working in the auto industry? Why don't they get the same 10 days that everyone else does? Why do they only get seven days? Well, when you look at the Employment Standards Act, Lior, um, you get a variety of people that are treated differently for a variety of reasons. One of the ones that would jump off the page would be those people who are in a first responder role, for example, where they're not asked to come into work, they're told to come into work when there's a car crash out there or the building is burning or our paramedics or police officers, those types of folks. So they're they're exempt from the scheduling provisions and... uh, they know when they sign up for that job that they're going to be expected to roll at a moment's notice and uh, that they, they don't, you know, they're the ones that will put the burning building out when everybody else is running out of the building. So we've looked at, there's other, uh, there's other industries that have very special and unique qualities about them, information technology, for example, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a whole host of exemptions that you'd probably be more familiar with than I am. Sure. When we looked at auto, what, what we also look is for that greater, that greater right or good. So when we look at auto, and auto traditionally in the past has been an excellent employer in the province of Ontario, uh, the uh, special advisors, when they submitted their report, they said, you know what, auto's got some really unusual aspects to it. It's got a, it very much is, it's assembly line, it's just-in-time pr- uh, production, uh, something can go wrong on the line, and then it's got to be corrected quickly, and all of a sudden it's all hands on deck. And it's all these things that make the business as competitive as it is, and it, it makes for, um, if you can deal with those things in a flexible way, it makes for a very healthy industry within the province. So we, we've looked at the plans that are available to those in the auto industry, and generally compared to the rest of the province, uh, they're actually an enriched plan. So there's a greater there's a greater right or good than you would get for 10 personal emergency leaves with two paid days. Uh, in any example that I've seen, generally those employers exceed that. So what we said is we would uh, we would put in a pilot project. We talk to the we talk to the companies, we talk to the employees in the unionized sector. It's it's a bit harder to talk to employees in the non-union sector of the auto sector. Um, and we, we, we came up with a pilot project that's still in play. The idea is as we examine each, of, you know, each and every one of these exemptions over the next year, is we'll be also be evaluating that pilot project. So what we said in that case, we said uh, instead of 10 days, um, what we're saying is seven days plus unlimited, pay, uh, unlimited leave for bereavement. So a typical employee in Ontario would get 10 days, and if they exceeded that 10 days for any reason, uh, they would not be, you know, they'd be, they'd be in excess of the 10, obviously. What we said for auto is, so let's try a pilot project here that allows for seven personal emergency leave days, and then a period of three, three days for each bereavement. So if there was more than one bereavement in a year, you could get 13 days as 16 days. But the idea being really is, I think, in the auto sector, there was a sense that the employment standards uh, provisions are a minimum, and the auto sector far exceeds them with the, uh, with the employee benefit plans that it has in place right now. When we do the evaluation of the plan early, uh, early to the mid part of next year, we'll take everybody's opinions into account. I know there are some employees uh, within the uh, auto sector that feel like they're being treated differently, 
and I understand those concerns. And uh, whether we can justify treating them differently into the future or whether we can set up a system specific to the auto sector plan will be part of our review of the pilot project and the exemptions. Mr. Flynn, uh, thank you very much. We're talking with uh, Ontario Minister, uh, Minister of Labour, uh, Kevin Flynn. Uh, thank you very much for your time this evening and, and for uh, helping us understand some of these upcoming changes. Anytime, Leo. It's a great show you've got going there. If you ever want the Minister of Labour back, just call. I will absolutely take you up on that, Minister. Thank you very much. And we'll take a short break in that regard. The phone lines will be open after our uh, return here, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. We'll get into busting employment law miss and your phone calls and emails when we return right here on the Employment Hour, Global News Radio. Now back to the Employment Hour with Lior Sampuru and John Scholes on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. At uh, 7.32 here, lots of time for you to still call in and get your questions answered. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Got to thank once again Kevin Flynn, Ontario Minister of Labour, for joining the show tonight and enlightening us with some changes coming down the pike from the ESA, the Employment Standards Act, and enriching everybody with the knowledge uh, moving forward. Busting employment law miss, Lior. Let's do some of these. My employer can't terminate me unless I've done something wrong. Can't happen. John- the reason why we're doing this show, the reason why I've been doing this show for now going on five years, by the way, believe it, five five years, know, right? is because of these employment law myths. There's so many of them. People believe things that are not true. Uh, some information you may read online. Some information, with all due respect to the Ministry of Labor, you may read on the Ministry of Labor website. So we want to bust those myths. So we, we don't want people to, under, to believe things that are not true. And one of the very common ones is employers or employees believe that the employer can't let them go if they did nothing wrong. The reality right. is, John, an employer can let you go at any time and pretty much for any reason as long as severance is paid. Now, your employer cannot let you go for a discriminatory reason. Your employer can't let you go because of your age or your sex or your ethnicity or disability. But other than that, even if you've done nothing wrong, your employer can let you go. It's a question of severance. And when you don't get the severance that you're owed, that's a wrongful dismissal, John. And by the way, that number anytime, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. That's to get a hold of Lior at the firm uh, anytime, even when the show is not on. We'll get to, uh, to Bill here. Hey, Bill, good evening. How are you? Good, thanks. Yourself? Excellent. What's uh, what's your concern? Uh, myself, I'm gonna. I'm registered as a business. I've already done that. 2018, I start putting boots on the ground, so to speak. The type of business I'm gonna be in, I'm actually gonna only be able to pay commission, not an hourly rate. So I was wondering what I could do in regards to that, what uh, uh, employment laws and issues sure. may be. Excellent question, uh, Bill. So yeah, you're allowed to have employees on on 100% uh, commission. That said, most of these employees have to still make at least minimum wage. And, and as you know, minimum wage increases soon to $14 an hour and in a year's time to $15 an hour. So, so the employees would still have to make at least that, even if they are on commission. But uh, yes, you can otherwise have a commission. You don't, you, you, some, in some situation, you may give them an advance draws against commission. You don't have to do that. Uh, and uh, you, know, you want to set out the terms 
very clearly and in a straightforward manner in an employment agreement. Uh, if you're going to hire people, as you say, put uh, boots on the ground, you don't want to hire employees without a proper employment agreement. So we should chat about that and have those drafted for you. But yeah, you're absolutely able to have employees on, on 100% commissions, Bill. Okay, so uh, great. Thank you very much. That answered exactly the, what I was calling about. Terrific. You're welcome, Bill. And moving forward, you need to get a hold of Leora uh, any other time. It's one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred or help at employmenthour.com. And in the meantime, we're talking about busting employment law. Miss another one here is I will lose my severance entitlements if I do not sign on the dotted line by their deadline, i.e., Friday at five. That is a, a huge one, John. And, yeah. and you know the the time that's busiest in my office is Thursday afternoon or Friday morning because people are looking at their severance letters. They have a Friday at five deadline, and and they're very nervous. And some of them are freaking out, and they're saying, "Oh my gosh, I have to sign this on time or else." So that is another misconception, another myth that people believe that if you don't sign it on time, you lose something. Well, I want us to all understand, everyone listening to us right now, is that deadline usually is meaningless. Your legal rights don't expire Friday at 5, Tuesday at 3, or any other time. You have two years to pursue your, your legal rights. And usually that deadline is a pressure tactic. Nothing more, nothing less. Which means that if your employer wants you to sign by Friday at 5 and they're putting that pressure, there's probably something they're not telling you, like you're owed a lot more. So don't worry about that deadline. Take the time that you need to get legal advice, to understand what you're signing. You don't want to be in a situation where you accept a severance package and, like so many others, find out later that you wrote another $50,000. How many times, John, have you and I spoken with people on air in that situation? Don't let that happen to you. If you lost your job, forget about that deadline. Get legal advice. As long as that takes, that's fine. The number is 416-870-6400-STAR-640 on sale to call in. If you don't catch this show, we're back Wednesday nights here in the Employment Hour. If you haven't caught this one as well, Employment Hour in 30. We do that Saturday mornings, 10 a.m. on Global TV. We love doing that show as well, so if you haven't caught that, uh, have a gander this coming weekend. Uh, Katrina, how, hello, how are you? Hi, I'm doing all right. How about you? Good. What's uh, what's your concern tonight? Thanks for calling in. Um Currently, uh, I work in the auto industry, and thank you so much, Lior, for asking the question for me. No um, I, I super appreciate it. I can't, I can't send my gratitude enough. Now, my next question uh, is just in regards to what we can do as a collective, as a group, uh, to be able to combat what Mr. Flynn has, has said. Um, at this point, all our writing, like letter writing, has failed. We've sent emails. We're not getting responses. Um, and I'm just wondering, because there is several of us who are wondering what we can do to essentially um, just com- combat what's going on. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to be very blunt with you, and this has nothing to do with the law. And, and remember that there's an election coming, uh, of course, a provincial election coming. And yeah. the, the more you can make this as an issue, the more you could have potentially some leverage to make some changes. So. To, so speak to the media if you need to. Explain to them why you feel that you're, you're getting the, the short end of the stick. Uh, contact your, your uh, MPPs and, uh, and, and you know, go speak to them and, and make, make it known. You know, be public about it as much as possible and use that as leverage, as power to, to have them not ignore you. It's going to be very difficult to ignore you now, especially in an election year coming up. So that's the best that I can tell you. Uh, you know, legally speaking, the government does have power to make the the laws that they've made. So the only way you can change that is if there's enough people supporting that, and you can you can get in the public eye, speak to the media, and see where that takes you. 
Yeah, oh, we lost Katrina. There you go. Good advice. Uh, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Busting employment law myths. We hear these all the time for the last five years, and they will continue to be there, so we'll continue to uh, bust them wide open. Next one on our list is, I cannot be terminated if I am on leave. Yeah, and a lot of people do believe, and, and for a good reason, that if you're on a, on a leave, and usually it's a medical leave, then you cannot be terminated. Now, you, it, it's very true that you cannot be terminated because you're on a medical leave. So right. an employer can't say, well, because you had the audacity to, to go on a medical leave and a disability leave, we're going to let you go. They can't do that. That not only would be a wrongful dismissal, that would be a violation of the Human Rights Code. But if the reason has nothing to do with your leave, if the reason is unrelated to it, then yes, you can be let go. Even if you're off work on a medical leave, let's say the department is being shut down uh, and everyone in the department is let go, well then clearly you're not being let go because of your leave. So yeah, you can be let go, but here's the important thing, and you still are owed severance. Just because you're on a leave of absence, whether it's medical or a different leave, and you get let go, does not mean that just because you're not earning income at the time, doesn't mean you don't get severance. Not only do you get severance, you get severance as if you were still working. And in most cases, John, as you know, and our our regular listeners know, employees are gonna be offered pennies on the dollar. So use the severance calculator. Give me a call uh, and and don't necessarily assume that you can't be let go, but you should always assume that the severance you're offered is inadequate because unfortunately in most cases it is. Busting the employment law myths that a lot of people think are gospel. Here's another one. My employer has the right to change uh, my job duties, my pay structure, my pay, or my job location. A lot of employers also believe that, by the way, John, that, yeah. that and the employer has that power to, to make changes. What's, you know, and I've had employers say, hey, it's my workplace. I decide what happens. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. The law decides what happens. You know, it, Once you're, you're hiring an employee, you have to abide by the law. And the law makes it clear that an employer does not have the right to unilaterally change the terms of employment in a negative way. So an employer does not have a right to impose a pay decrease. The employer doesn't have a right to demote you, to relocate you, uh, to take away uh, responsibilities, etc., etc., etc. You have a right to the job that you have and the compensation that you have. And if an employer does do that anyway, despite what I just said, if the employer does impose changes to the terms of employment, you may have the right as the employee to treat this as a constructive dismissal. That means you can leave with your full severance. So uh, many of our listeners have heard this term constructive dismissal. That's what it is. It happens when the employee does not accept the change that the employer has imposed. And it's much better in many cases, John, not to accept the change because if you accept the change because you think, you know, it's a one-time thing, it's a one-off, I'm going to accept it this one time. Well, by accepting it this one time, you may give the employer the right to do it again and again and again. And then you won't be able to do anything about it. So if your employer is going to start messing, quote unquote, with the terms of your employment, you may be better off to say, no, I'm going to call it a day, leave this job and get my severance. And of course, I don't want anyone quitting before speaking to me first, John. The number is one 821 to get a hold of Lior or a member of his team anytime. Help at employmenthour.com. We still have phone lines open here for a few minutes. That's 416-870-6400, star 640. On your cell phone, the uh, employment list, we are busting wide open. I have no bargaining power as an employee. I can do nothing. Yeah, and, and you know th- this is a big one. A lot of employees say, well, wait a second. The employer has all the power. The employer has the job. The employer has the money. 
I want the job and I don't have the money. So, so where's the leverage here? Well, first of all, the leverage comes from the fact that the law it protects the employees. And, and we actually heard Minister Flynn talk a bit about that uh, just moments ago in terms of how Ontario laws, and this, is, this applies not just in Ontario but across Canada, uh, protect employees and are good to employees and are there to give employees rights. So the law is, is your leverage. The law is your, your guardian angel, if you will, that, that protects you and, and gives you that power. So uh, an employer, the, the fact that the employer has money potentially or the employer has the job that you want doesn't give the employer the right to do whatever it wants and the law takes care of that. In other situations, you may try to negotiate an employment agreement with your employer and think, well, I want to get hired and so how can I negotiate terms? I don't have leverage. That's again, not true. If you're gone through an interview process and the employer selected you based on you know, several interviews, etc., you now have something that the employer wants, yourself. So you do have leverage and you do have something that the employer wants, so you may be able to negotiate proper employment terms. So pay attention to employment agreements. Don't just sign off on an employment agreement not knowing what you're signing. You may find out later that you've lost entitlements that you had, that you gave up entitlements. You often have leverage. And if you're not sure if you have leverage, if you're not sure if you have rights, well, give me a call. Let's talk about that. Let me help you understand what those rights are and how to, to use that leverage to get what you're actually owed. One more of these uh, busting employment law myth points to make here, and that is my employer can lay me off if they are going through uh, difficult financial times. We've had phone calls like this in the past that people have been exactly a victim of that, right? You know, John, I, I, I literally uh, have heard uh, people talk, hear me talk about uh, temporary layoffs and they, they drop whatever they're holding uh, because they're so shocked to learn that an employer actually does not have the right to lay off temporarily. Now, of course, we're, we're talking in non-union environments, mm-hmm. But in a non-union environment, the employer does not have a right to lay off an employee temporarily, which means uh, it doesn't matter if the employer is going through hard financial times, if they have to cut costs, the law is clear. I didn't make up the law, and then you know, don't, don't blame me if, if you don't like it. But the reality is an employer can't do it, which means if the employer does try to lay you off temporarily, you have a choice as the employee. You can accept it and wait at home and hopefully you get called back in a few months. If that's what you want, you can do that. Or you can treat your employment as being terminated right now. Uh, it's, it's a termination. You can get your severance right now. And the problem, John, as I alluded to earlier, with accepting this temporary layoff, the problem with saying, well, you know, I'll just wait and they'll call me back in three months, is by allowing your employer to do that and, and accepting it and going back to work, you've now given the employer the right to do it again and again and again. So you go back to work and a few months later they lay you off again for a few months. And then again, and then again. Not, not much of a way to work if you're laid off every few months for a few months. So that's why if your employer is gonna start imposing layoffs, it may be best to just say, no, that's not acceptable. I'm gonna get my severance and move on to a position that's secure, to a position that doesn't lay me off temporarily. Uh, And and of course, if you've been put on a temporary layoff before you do anything, before you quit, before you don't quit, before you find another job, I want you to give me a call. Seasonal work notwithstanding, of course, if you're a pool cleaner or a roofer, that generally doesn't happen in the middle of February. It would be a tough gig. Right? Exactly. If, if you're <laughs> yeah. working uh, in a job that's inherently seasonal, like like as yeah. you said, pool cleaners, for example, then yes, that's it's it's implied 
that you're not going to be working during the off season. But if you have an office job, well, guess what? doesn't matter that your employer is struggling financially. That is unfortunate, but they still don't have a right to lay you off temporarily in that situation. Got about a minute to go here, brother. Uh, run me through the severance pay calculator, would you? So, John, if you lost your job, if you know someone that lost your job, I created a tool that helps you right away to find out how much you're owed to take the mystery, to, to make not, that not be a myth. You go to severancepaycalculator.com. Again, it's severancepaycalculator.com. You answer three simple questions, and you're done. It tells you how much severance you're owed, whether it's a week, a month, a year, two years, or anything in between. Uh, John, uh, we've had over 400,000 people use it. We just looked at the numbers uh, last week. 400,000 people, that's a great number. I'm so proud of it. Make sure you do the same thing. Don't accept less than your own. It's so easy. You have that right now. You can go on your smartphone, on your tablet, uh, severancepaycalculator.com. Check it out. We'll be back Wednesday night at uh, 7 o'clock once again. And if you haven't caught it before, Employment Hour and 30 runs Global TV Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. A really cool program. If you haven't seen it, give it a shot this weekend. Again, one 821 5900 is Lior's number. It is help at employmenthour.com through email to contact him. Anybody else in the firm would love to hear from you. And, of course, severancepaycalculator.com. You want to use that tool if you've never had before. That's it for another night. Back here Wednesday. Coming up, uh, we'll continue with On Point with Alex Pearson right here on Global News Radio.